Well, how are you all feeling this morning? The school sore. We're laying flooring in our old house, and we, I, I am not. I was keeping the kids occupied, but we got some sore bodies in our house. School has started. How are you teachers feeling? <laughs> That's how the parents are feeling. How are the kids feeling, settling into their new classes? Are you guys students, are you happy with your teachers? Well, we were waiting eagerly for, we got letters in the mail telling us who our kids' teachers were. You know, and they came like, felt like right before school started, so you were like anticipating, and then you didn't even, even have time to like react to how you were feeling before it was like school had started. But as school has, you know, been gearing up this year, it's put me in a place of, you know, reflecting back over my time as a kid in school, and I was thinking about, um, you know, my best teacher, which I would say was my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Edwards, and how he just made school so fun and interesting, and then my worst teacher, which was Mr. Crowder. Just the name tells you everything that you need to know. Fifth grade, and hopefully he's not listening on the podcast. Um, but fifth grade, and I just remember him, um, he was such a disciplinarian, such a rules person. Uh, we had to take notes in our class in fifth grade, and he told us it was because he was preparing us for college. And even as a fifth grader, I was like, really? <laughs> college? I'm in fifth grade. Well, I think for some of us, our experience with church is kind of like preparing to go to Mr. Crowder's class. Because for us, in our upbringing, church has been a lot about rules, a lot about all the things that you are not supposed to do, the way that you are supposed to act and behave. And so it puts us in this place of anxiety when we think about coming to gather with this community of believers. It's not how it's supposed to be, but for some of us, maybe based off of our story, our history, that is our experience as we come into church. Well, there's a similar dynamic that went on in the early church. We're going to be looking at a passage from 1 Timothy this morning. Um, it's a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. He was a young... Um, colleague of his, and he'd left him in Ephesus in the church there. And Paul writes this letter into a context that is very much like that that I describe of Mr. Crowder's class, where there had begun to kind of this legalism had begun to kind of um, make its way back into the community. And so people's engagement with church had become much more, again, like the Old Testament way, where it was all about um, obedience to the law and about the list of things that you were not supposed to do, the list of things that you were supposed to do. And so people's experience had begun, again, to be defined by the law rather than by grace and freedom. Well, Paul's heart, as the person who has been a significant influence in spreading the church, his heart is breaking as he begins to get word back from some of these churches that he has had a hand in planting hearing that the people have begun to be gripped by legalism again. Because Paul's story is one, he, he had been living in the midst of that. He had been a Pharisee. He had been devoting his entire life to obedience, to a, a legalistic way of life, until Jesus had entered into his life, had, had met him on the road and entered into a relationship with him. And from that moment on, Paul 
had been overjoyed by this invitation into a place of grace and into a place of freedom. And that is what he has he's tried to embed in each of these church communities that he has started around the Mediterranean. And then he hears that they are slipping back towards legalism and his heart is breaking because he knows that there is so much more that we are invited into. And so that is the context that Paul writes these words into. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. You can read along in your own Bible, or it'll be on the screen. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, as we look at these words today from Paul to Timothy, Lord, I ask that you would give us open hearts to hear from you. May these words not simply be words in a dusty letter written a really long time ago, but may your spirit fill them with new life for us. May we re be reminded of your immense patience and your unending grace. May that transform the way that we live and experience you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of you grew up dressing up for church? Yes. How many of you still feel that inclination on a Sunday morning to dress up for church? I see Katie's hand back there, and I know that to be true. I thought about you, Katie, this morning as I was getting dressed. My first wardrobe outfit that I put on was not jeans. And then my mom said, Summer, it's going to be cold and rainy today. You might want to put on some appropriate clothing. And so... <laughs> Upstairs, and I put on my blue jeans and a sweater. And I thought of Katie because I remember Katie when she was an elder coming up front at one point to make an announcement and commenting that it was very hard for her to see jeans on the stage on a Sunday morning. Many of us grew up in a context where you dressed up for church, and many of us maybe still feel that impulse on a Sunday morning. I am hard pressed to get my kids to wear anything other than sports shorts, and I have just totally given that up. Um, <laughs> But why is that? What is it in us that feels this need to dress up for church on Sunday morning? Well, I was reflecting on that a little bit, and I think that at least a part of that is a remnant of this belief that we need to appear worthy, right, to receive God's blessing, that we need to earn our place in God's family. 
And I think that that comes out of a place of picturing God like my fifth grade teacher, like Mr. Crowder. That God is a harsh disciplinarian with lots of rules. And so I need to live a certain way. I need to appear a certain way in order to be worthy. And the result over time is a church that is full of a lot of unspoken rules. And unintentionally, we begin to look more like the Old Old Testament community that is living according to the law rather than the community that Paul has invited us into, which is a community that looks like grace, that is a community of freedom. Well, Paul in this passage is speaking into the church in Ephesus because this very dynamic is playing out. And what we see here is Paul not putting on a a pretty face, not putting on his best clothes as he talks to this church that he is the leader of, but he just starts airing all his dirty laundry, doesn't he? He says, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, he's recalling and painting a picture of his time as a Pharisee where he was persecuting the church. He says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So God's grace found Paul in the middle of the messiness of his life and called him anyway and used him anyway to build his church. So Paul has not forgotten where he has come from. And he's not hiding where he has come from here. Instead, the memory of where Paul has come from, the messiness of his story, keeps him mindful that the place that he has in God's family is not based on performance. The place that he has in God's family is not about how well he follows the law. So for Paul, remembering his past keeps him always in a posture of gratitude for the grace and mercy that he's experienced in Jesus. Because Paul has experienced God's grace, because he's experienced the forgiveness of God, the wiping away of his shame, Paul is bubbling over with gratitude and with joy. And this gratitude and this joy is so much more winsome and compelling, isn't it? than a list of rules and thou shalt nots. Paul was all about the grace of God, and we see this throughout his letters. Paul says, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And the result was a community of not perfectly put together people, but a community of messy misfits like you and I with our holy jeans, our sport shorts, bursting at the seams with joy and gratitude. Someone once described Christian witness or evangelism as one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And this is a beautiful image, and yet how different than the picture that we come into Sunday morning expecting and trying to be a part of, right? When we get dressed up, put our pretty self forward, try to hide the messiness that happened at home, 
the spilt milk, the tantrums, the arguments with one another, and then we walk in the door and we try to put on the pretty face. And yet being honest about our struggles, being in touch with the gritty, messy reality of our story puts us in a place to be grateful, doesn't it? It can fill us with wonder, as it did Paul, that we are a part of Jesus' family. That the God who has chosen me has chosen me with all of my messiness. I don't have to be perfect. And when we live out of that place, what an attractive place that is. How compelling for others who see us rather than that rigid, harsh, living out a series of laws and rules. Well, I am an industrial engineer by training, and I am a reformer or a perfectionist on the Enneagram. And so I am inherently wired to be looking for problems in myself, in the world. That is just how I I'm wired. Those are, that's the lens that I look at the world through. I want to see what's not going well, and then I want to focus on fixing it. <laughs> well, today's media does the same thing. It views the world through the same lens, doesn't it? You pick up the paper, and you're bombarded with what is not going well, right? All of the places where sin and darkness are seeping through the cracks in this broken world. That is what we see in the news. I think I've shared this before, but I was watching the news one evening with Amelia, which I don't usually do. And, you know, we watched through kind of the first commercial break, and she turned to me and she's like, Mommy, the news is all about bad people and people dying. And I was like, Ooh, you're right. <laughs> because that's all that it was. And so we flipped off the news and we did something else. Well, in the face of this, we have to be intentional about looking for grace because many of us are not wired that way and our culture does not help us to be on the lookout for grace but it's so important that we do because the most compelling thing that the church has to offer the world is the grace of Jesus unmerited favor according to veggie tales that's what the church has to offer that is compelling and that is desperately needed. Now, many of us don't have conversion stories like Paul, where he's knocked over on the road to Damascus, blinded by Jesus. But that does not mean that we don't have stories of grace that are worthy of celebrating and sharing. Grace in your and my story might be more subtle than it was in Paul's story, more sprinkled throughout rather than packed into one dramatic event. But it's so critical that we be in touch with the places of grace in our own stories. Because if we're not aware of the place that grace has touched us, then we can't possibly share a firsthand account of that to the world around us. And our world desperately needs that doesn't it? Think about your week. Think about the people that you interacted with at school, at work, at your kids' school. Think about the stories that you intersected with 
the brokenness, the, the despair that you connected with, that was a part of your story this week. How desperately do we need grace? And it's there. It is happening in your daily life if you have the eyes to see it. And so our task as Jesus followers is not to wrangle the world into shape. It's not to go into our places of work and point out the brokenness and, you know, yell at people to get it together. That is often the way that I... I'll tell you why not. Because as someone who is wired that way, when I engage with my neighbor from that place, they just shut the door in my face, right? There is nothing winsome in that way of engagement. There's no reason why our coworker, our friend, our neighbor wants to give us the time of day when that is the way that we engage. But when we can come and we can share stories of the way that the love of Jesus, the grace of God has influenced our life, transformed our life, that is compelling. The image that came to my mind as I was thinking about this was those magic eye pictures. Are you guys familiar with those? I feel like I haven't seen one in a couple of decades, but maybe they're still around. You know, there are those pictures where when you first looked at it on the page, it just looked like this kind of weird pattern. But then your task was to kind of figure out that weird way of kind of going cross-eyed a little bit, and suddenly when you allowed your eyes to blur, this three-dimensional picture would emerge, right? It was always there, but you had to figure out how to kind of look at it differently for that picture to emerge. Well, my default tendency is to look at the world and to see the problems. And so my challenge, and I think maybe our challenge, is to look at the world and to figure out how to view things differently so that the grace is what rises to the surface, where we can begin focusing on and calling out the grace and the love of God that is at work and happening around us. Well, Paul views all of his life through this lens of grace because he has experienced that grace in Jesus choosing him. That Jesus sought Paul out, that that Jesus pursued Paul and then chose him even as he was pursuing and tormenting Christians. That is a defining reality for Paul. That he is loved, that he is forgiven. Because the God who made him is primarily gracious and patient. And so from chief persecutor of the church, Paul becomes chief evangelist for the church as he makes that shift in the way that he views the world. So what are your stories of grace? Where has Jesus shown up in your life? Where have you experienced God's unmerited favor? Now, when I first thought about this, I was thinking back over my whole life, and there are kind of those big, you know, pillar moments that, that rose up for me, where, you know, kind of the profound miracle moments. Those are important. But as I was thinking about this again last night, the things that stood out to me were much simpler. Alistair had his first soccer game yesterday, and he scored the first goal for his team. That was God's grace to me. Alistair had been really worried about playing, and he walked away from that game feeling victorious. That was God's grace. I have not been to the gym at all this summer, and this week I finally got myself there, and I went to a yoga class. 
and I have had this hip flexor that has been tight all summer long. So tight. One morning of yoga, stretched out those muscles, and my hip has felt better all week. That, to me, was God's grace, right? You know, I think we do this. I had gotten to the point where I was like, my hip is going to hurt for the rest of my life. And an hour of stretching, that was God's grace. Path Preschool opened two weeks ago. Mark and I have been in our new office space um, for the from the beginning of the summer. And it's lovely and it's wonderful, but it is quiet. And so having the preschool back in the building, having Gwen and the other teachers getting things set up, having all of the families, the parents, many of them from sanctuary coming and dropping their kids off and then picking them back up, has been God's grace for me. Maybe you experienced this too over the summer where you get to the end of the summer and you're like, I don't have any friends because everyone's been gone and traveling all summer and you just feel completely disconnected. But one week of having all of these beautiful faces flowing in and out of the preschool and I'm like, oh, I'm okay. People like me, <laughs> right? That was God's grace for me. I've had a number of dinners over the last couple of weeks. We had a barbecue last night with the council. I've had meals with several of you. Those points of reconnecting over the last couple of weeks have been God's grace for me, pouring life back into my lonely soul after a summer away. Mark's dad, Roger, has a practice of writing these things down. He, I don't know if he has a name for it. Um, I call it his journal of miracles, where when he has something happen in his life where he's like, there is no explanation for this beyond the grace of God. He disciplines himself to write that down, to remember it. And I think it is so easy for us to miss these moments of grace in our life because we're moving so fast, right? I could get a month down the road and I wouldn't remember how great it felt to have the preschool back in the building. I could get a month down the road and if I hadn't stopped and recognized the joy of Alistair's goal, that moment would be forgotten. Make note of these things. If you really want to begin seeing your life through the lens of grace, we have to be intentional about it. Now, evangelism is something that I think many of us are quite intimidated by. And especially in this context of Seattle, where so many people are not Christian and maybe have very strong views against the church, can be very intimidating. But I think it's intimidating because we have the wrong view of what it is. What if we begin viewing sharing our faith as simply sharing these stories of grace? The places where we, this week, have experienced the grace, the unmerited favor, the joy, the love of God. I would imagine that the people that we are sharing with would have a much different reaction to what we are sharing. Well, after Paul reflects on his own story of grace in these verses, he goes on to say, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus might display his immense patience, his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him. Now, isn't that an interesting way of thinking about it? God saved me so that the world would see how patient God is, right? The reason that God showed Paul such grace was to show the rest of us just how patient God is. 
Well, Jesus de depicts this immense patience beautifully in the story of the prodigal son. And Laurel read the portion that I wanted to highlight this morning. You know, the younger son has, has gone off. He squandered half of everything that the father had to leave. And yet Jesus describes the father as standing and waiting for the son to return. In order for the son to burn through all of this financial wealth, he was gone for a while. This is a culture where it's all about pride, right? For the father to be standing in the dooryard, waiting, watching, his neighbors knew what his son had done. He should have shunned his son. For him to stand there and wait and wait and wait. And then the moment he sees his son coming, to run out to him, to embrace him, to wrap his arms around him and throw him a party. Well, this is a picture of the wide, wide arms of God reaching wide to embrace all of us who turn to him. No matter our past, no matter how long we have been away from him. And this is the message for us this morning. And this is the message that God invites us to take with us into the world. The message of God's abundant grace, his reckless love. I love that song. Because God is reckless to love you and I, who are constantly failing, constantly screwing up, constantly having to come back and ask for forgiveness and start fresh. That is reckless. And yet God loves us lavishly, never-endingly. If God could redeem Paul from his guilty past, then he can save me. If he can save me from my brokenness, my selfishness, then he can save you. And if he can save us, then there is not a single person out there in the world that you interact with throughout your week who he cannot save and redeem. But this is not quick business. He's been at work trying to get me straightened out for 41 years. And he's still got a lot of work left to do. <laughs> and so just as God is patient with us, perhaps our hardest task is to be patient with ourselves, to be patient with one another. We are a band of messy misfits. And if we expect this community to be better than that, we have the wrong idea about church. We need to be patient with one another. We need to offer one another grace. And then as we go out into our weeks, we need to be people who are patient and grace-filled with the world that we interact with, sharing our stories of grace with the folks that we encounter. I'm going to end by reading these words again. And as I do, maybe this time, picture these as your words, all right? This is you speaking this time. I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his work. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent person, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. 
along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, we're going to come to the table now, and we're going to take a little bit of time um, to pray as we do. And I'm going to leave some space, and I just want to invite you um, to just bring to mind some of these stories of grace from your own life. Maybe just focus on the last few days. And just offer those in gratitude to God. Just take a moment, if you haven't had a chance to say thank you, to thank him in these next moments as we prepare to come to the table. Let's pray.